Hello and welcome to Dispatch Live. It's election night in Wyoming and Alaska, but Wyoming is going to stick out tonight in our conversation because that's where Steve is. Steve polls close in just under an hour there. And so this will be a little bit of a preview. I know you've got to run uh, right before the polls actually close to get back to your reporting, but why don't you give us a little, I don't know, vibe from the ground there. Yeah, it's been an interesting couple days. I, I got in on uh, Sunday, flew into Jackson, not the most representative county uh, in Wyoming. It's upscale. It's more purple and blue than most of the rest of the state. Um, it's where Liz Cheney and her parents live. Uh, it's where she's going to be giving her speech tonight. Um, it's been interesting to talk to people uh, around town. I went to a polling place yesterday for a while, early voting, uh, talked to a bunch of voters. The number of voters you can talk to emerging from the polling places who said, I'm an independent or I'm a Democrat and I switched my uh, my registration to vote for Liz Cheney. Um, virtually everybody I talked to uh, coming out of the Teton County. I don't think it tells us anything broader about what's happening. I think that's what's happening in in Teton County. And I think the rest of the country is very, very red. It's the the, the um, state that voted most overwhelmingly for Donald Trump in 2020, almost 70% of the vote. And uh, I expect that Trump's handpicked candidate, um, Harriet Hageman, will win and probably win pretty convincing. When you talk to these voters, did they, I mean, ex- elections are all about expectations. It feels like the expectation there is that Liz Cheney is expected to lose by a lot. I'm um, almost surprised that you're talking to that many Democrats and independents who did that because it would sort of imply that they think they can make a difference in the outcome. Is it that they want to narrow the margin? They want to send a message? What was their reason? Yeah, I mean, I think for most of them, they wanted to send a message. A lot of them didn't want to give their names, which I found interesting. Um, You know, they would talk about it was interesting, you know, our friend, uh, Kristen Soltis Anderson did a, a focus group for the New York Times of Wyoming voters. And interestingly, it sounds like she went most of the focus group talking to them about a variety of things uh, that, that they're considering as they uh, go to vote today. And Trump didn't come up for an hour. So I had precisely the opposite experience. Every single person I spoke to fronted with Trump. Um, And most of these were, I'm so proud of what Liz Cheney did in taking on Trump. She's sacrificing her career. She knows she's sacrificing her career. Um, She stood up to him. I don't agree with her on 90% of the other issues, but I'm voting for her for that reason. There was one uh, fellow yesterday I was in, uh, I stood in line as uh, she went and was registering one of her sons to vote. And guy came up to her and said, you know, that she was there and nobody sort of either they didn't recognize her or they all recognized her and didn't say anything. And then one guy kind of broke the seal and said, wait, are you Liz Cheney? Said, yes. And, and he said, this is so funny. A few years ago, I registered as a Republican to vote against you. And here <laughs> I'm voting for you. And thank you so much for everything you've done. Um, so that was sort of what the, the, the vibe was like, I'd say, over the past couple of days. And Republicans that I've talked to, Republicans who don't like Donald Trump, and by the way, these aren't Wyoming voters, these are just sort of your run-of-the-mill conservative Republicans, they don't like Trump, but they may well vote for him again 
those type of voters, uh, their complaint with Liz Cheney isn't that she voted to impeach him. Their complaint is that um, <laughs> she hasn't just stood on principle. She's been really myopic about that principle. She refuses to talk about anything else. She's not talking about Joe Biden or his failures as president. Instead, she's just whacking her own team and doing it every single day. Uh, and I'm curious how much you're sort of feeling that vibe out there that, you know, this is going to be, I think, Bon, I don't mean that in the pejorative sense. The narrative out of this will be Liz Cheney stood on principle and that's why she lost her seat. When I feel like a lot of Republicans are like, no, that's actually not quite it. It's a little more nuanced than that. Yeah, I mean, I think she would tell you, and this goes back to, to you know, the decisions she had to make to vote for impeachment. And re remember, it was important. it's important to remember, she was very critical of Donald Trump before January 6th. She was critical of the lies that he told to try to remain in office. That's what made Donald Trump mention her by name, single her out in his speech on January 6th. And so she made a decision pretty early. I'm going to speak out about Donald Trump and it's going to cost me my seat in all likelihood, or I'm going to run for re-election. And I probably can't speak out about Donald Trump, particularly because of the makeup of the Wyoming electorate. And I, you know, it's, it's very interesting. I'm, I'm uh, going to interview her tomorrow and um, I hope she's not watching this because the, uh, I think the first question I want to ask her is a, is a variation of that. She talked about it in a speech that she gave at the Reagan Library and she basically said, like, we don't have the luxury of kind of playing the long game here of hoping Trump will just fade away. Like, you have to confront it. And, and what I'm curious about is, you know, for four years, she voted along with Trump. She defended some of um, what I would consider to be Trump's excessive be behavior. Uh, she voted against the first impeachment. Um, I wonder if she's particularly frustrated with Republicans who are not willing to be myopic about it because they, like she thinks this is the most important issue because that's where she was for, for a while. So I'm, I'm interested to talk to her about that. I think it's a, it's a good question. But I think that's one of the reasons that some of her house colleagues are frustrated. They just want it, well, they just want it to go away. They don't want to talk about it anymore. It's funny you mentioned that. One of the conversations with, with, was with one of her house colleagues as well. Again, someone who isn't a huge fan of Donald Trump, but is like, yes, like take your shots, but then take more shots against Joe Biden. She's just like forcing this conversation to be about Donald Trump all the time. All right, let's bring in... David French, who looks like it, it's like a collared pajama shirt. I don't quite understand what collared we're wearing. pajama shirt. This is <laughs> what are you talking about? This is like a grayish polo. Got it. Yeah. And then Andrew Egger, who <laughs> uh, staff what writer the of the Dispatch, <laughs> he works with me on the sweep almost every week. Uh, and Andrew, of course, has come with his full bar ready to go behind him. Any cocktails that y'all need in the comment section, we can ship out to you from Andrew's bar. Uh, Andrew, what, uh, any questions for Steve? Thoughts, feelings about Wyoming? Um, I, that's a good question. I mean, I guess, I guess um, here, here's one thing I've seen bandied around uh, a couple times, um, which is that obviously uh, Harriet Hegeman is the hand-picked, oh, that was, that was pleasant to see. It was. Uh, she's Puppies. the, <laughs> she's the handpicked um, Trump candidate. She's she's leaning into his lane in, in a lot of things. I've seen some people try to split a hair that she has not described the 2020 election as stolen. She has merely described it as rigged um, as and, and like try to make that a distinction with a difference. I'm curious whether you think that is a meaningful 
uh, distinction mm-hmm. for her to make in, in, in any way or whether it's a thing that anybody you have you have spoken to cares about whatsoever. Can I just say how like I think there is a distinction, but how sad is it that there is one? Because really, there isn't. Does that make sense? <laughs> like yeah. now in the Republican Party, there are actually enough people within that whole genre that there actually is a distinction between those two. <laughs> right, right. The uh, the 72 different Eskimo words for snow or exactly. Or yeah. That's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> we'll get to Alaska in a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, so I don't think for the purposes of, of this election, I don't think it's very significant. One of the things that sort of stands out, and I, look, let me let me just say my 48 hours on the ground here, do not make me an expert about the, the sentiments of Wyoming voters <laughs> writ large. Um, I, that's a, I don't a know, Steve, that shirt that makes you look really local. Yeah, well, I, I'm feeling local. The shirt <laughs> critiques are flying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but one of the things that sort of one of the impressions you get from, from spending here, and I've spent a lot of time, I've gone back and watched all of the, the ads in the, in the campaign, I think, is how little Harriet Hageman is really a factor in, in a weird way. The popular bumper sticker for Hageman supporters, it says in big, it's a red bumper sticker, it says, it says in big white letters, defeat Cheney. And then like almost as a footnote, it's like, Harriet Hageman for Congress. <laughs> and that's how this feels. It feels like a Cheney-Trump race. And, and Trump, you know, like, like I said, seven out of 10 voters in the state voted for him. I think most of them still really like, like him. The chairman of the, the Wyoming uh, Republican Party is a diehard Trump supporter who was at the Capitol on January 6th. It's a member of the Oath Keepers. Um, and that's, that's who runs the party in Wyoming. That's where the sort of activist base is. And, and the sort of Trumpiness of it, I think you can tell it feels that way. Uh, can I uh, say, yeah, say, David. say something about your um, Republican friends who are like, the problem with Liz Cheney isn't that she's about against January 6th and Trump. The problem really is how she's doing it. Uh-huh. Come on. Mm-hmm. Okay, come on. We have at this point 10, 10 representatives who voted to impeach. Two are left. Two are left. Uh, doesn't matter how you did it. Doesn't matter how you did it. If you did it and then you voted and you were quiet about it and went after Biden like Peter Meyer, gone. If you uh, voted to impeach Trump and you're vocal about it, you're about to be gone. So. You know, that's funny. That's exactly the pushback that I used in this conversation. And I said, totally. Uh, Peter Meyer leaves office maybe with a better reputation among his colleagues, more mm-hmm. love. But at the same time, where was the National Republican Congressional Committee? They didn't come in with air support for Peter Meyer, yeah. uh, by which I mean, like going up on TV, spending a little bit of money to help him win his primary, not only because he was an incumbent, which is normally what they would do, but also because there is no chance that Republicans will hold this seat now right. uh, based on his opponent winning, which means that the NRCC would rather have a Democrat hold that seat than a Republican who voted to impeach Donald Trump. So, David, I totally take your point. He wasn't obsessed with Donald Trump. He wasn't obsessed with January 6th. He, in fact, stayed very away from the conversation. He did his vote, said his piece, moved on, and it didn't matter. Right. So I, I think I mean, for those who listen to the podcast and have seen Steve and I go at it in the most friendly and respectful ways, um, I don't think Liz Cheney has executed all of this perfectly by any stretch, 
but I absolutely don't think it would make a difference to whether she stays in office. Correct. <laughs> so let me, yes. I'll, I'll, I agree with that. I'll go, I'll go further. I think one of the reasons that, that there is some antipathy um, from her colleagues is precisely because she's been so successful because it's worked. I mean, I think people who have paid attention to the January 6th committee hearings, maybe not a lot of her colleagues, but some of them certainly have, and they've had to pay attention to the media coverage of it, know that those hearings have been pretty effective. I mean, they've, they've built a case. They've built a case. More than I thought they'd be. I'll, I'll by totally using admit. other Republicans, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what I think she is to them, she had this choice. I can remain in office or I can do the right thing. I think a majority of her colleagues in the House of Representatives still thought doing the right thing would have been voting to impeach Trump, opposing his fake election claims. And they chose not to do it. And every day, every time they see her on a talk show, every time they read a report about her, every time she chairs a committee hearing, she's a reminder of the choice they didn't make. And that's frustrating, I think, for some of them. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh. Since we don't have Steve for that long, I do want to get to some of the comment section questions for you, Steve. And if Great. nothing else, even if you don't have perfect answers tonight, maybe it can inform some of the questions you ask Liz tomorrow. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Lots and lots of questions in the chat about what does she do next? And while I'm sure they're very interested in her retirement and golfing plans, I think they might be thinking about uh, something else looming around the corner. Lots of talk of Liz Cheney running for president, which I think is actually insane and a great way to ensure Donald Trump wins the nomination. But I'm very curious what you think, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I, I've, I've got after 2016 and, and um so many missed straight line projections back then. And the, given the political volatility of this moment, I'm pretty reluctant to, to say anything will or won't happen, or if we can say this is crazy or this isn't crazy. I mean, I think she'd be, she'd, I don't see her winning the Republican nomination. So if, if she were to run <laughs> exactly. and run as yes. a Republican, but yeah. then again, she would maybe want to run to be on a debate stage with Donald Trump. Although Trump has said that he's not going to debate. Um, <laughs> she's, she's not going away. If that's the question, I don't know what this will look like. She's not going away. I mean, I, so I, I, I kind of talked myself into uh, being a fly on the wall at dinner that she held last night for her staff, for her campaign staff. And I'll give people a, a little preview of the, the piece I'm working on. Um, she gave a little talk. Wasn't a Wait, a talk. Steve piece? Three a minute Steve talk. Piece? I know, Wait, Steve it. is writing for no, the dispatch? I know. I know. Reporting? <laughs> it's, wow. it's, it is, I'll tell you what, it is not like riding a bike. It's hard to write. I, I, I give you all credit. It's uh, it's hard to write. By the way, um, for, for people who think we're making fun of Steve because like somehow we're saying he's lazy or something, it's actually the opposite. It's that Steve constantly, constantly wants to report all these pieces and every, like pretty much every, we have a staff call twice a week and every staff call, he's like, I'm going to work on reporting this piece. And then he gets dragged in 57 other directions. And so- We'll see. <laughs> but I'm doing it. No, I think I might. I think I might get two pieces out of this week. I'm going to try to finish one tonight um, for tomorrow. And I'm going to try to write one out of my conversation with her uh, for Thursday. So that, that's at least the plan as of right now. But I but I went to this dinner um, for fly on the wall uh, ground rules. And uh, but I can talk about what she said. She spoke for three minutes. It was an interesting dinner. I went in thinking that it would be pretty somber. Um, and that people would be really down. And it wasn't like that at all. I think they're sort of resigned to the, you know, the numbers are what the numbers are. There was a poll out 
earlier this week that had Hageman up 29 points. Um, so I don't think anybody had, had illusions that, that she was going to come and, and trounce Hageman. Um, but she gave, a, you know, she gave some brief remarks, thanked everybody, but made very clear in those comments this is a this is a longer fight, you know. We I, I appreciate the fact that you all stuck with me through some difficult times, trying times for you, trying times for us. Uh, but this is a much longer fight, and I'm eager to have you continue to work with me going forward. You know, sort of the the next big thing. Um, so she didn't get specific about it. I'm certain that she'll reveal the details of all of her plans when I talk to her tomorrow. All of them, um, yeah. Probably not, but uh, but I want to ask. I mean, I, I think it'll be interesting. She wants to have a. She certainly wants to have a voice. There are more committee hearings coming in September. Um, the committee's work continues apace, and I think in some ways it's escalating. Um, so I think she's likely to to remain a, a public presence. Would she run as an independent for her house seat? She can't. She oh uh, right, I they think have a sword sword option. Yeah, yep. She she had that option a while ago and uh, decided to stay in the Republican party probably, probably would have had a better shot potentially as an independent. I think the, the odds are the same, the, the, the facts yeah, are yeah. what they are. There aren't enough Trump skeptical Republicans, Democrats and independents to elect her in November or today in all likelihood. But um, there's an argument that uh, a lot of Democrats and independents are out of the state in August and sure. might've been here in November. So that was from Paul Zimmerman. Uh, Keith Blank, do you think she'll join the forward party, the Andrew Yang, uh, Christine Todd Whitman thing? Uh, I don't. I'd be skeptical. Um, I, I think that, you know, the, the forward party, uh, look, I, I'm basically, anybody who cares a lot about sort of what's happening in our country and is willing to step forward and, and have a role and, and try something new, I'm sort of for it at this point because I want people of goodwill to be doing this. So I'm reluctant to, to criticize the forward party, but I, I will say I, I read the, the Washington Post op-ed that they wrote, the, the three main founders wrote, and they said, this is why we're gonna be different from every other third party effort before. And I left at the end of the article thinking, they're not gonna be any different from any third party effort before. Now, I think, as I said, I think this moment of volatility there is an opportunity for some real disruption. Um, there are institutional and structural barriers to successful third-party bids, to successful independent bids. We've talked about that on the podcast. Those remain. But I think particularly if it's a Joe Biden versus Donald Trump race, and I'm as, as, as we discussed before, we have a bet. I don't think either one of those men will be the, the nominees of their respective parties. But if they are, I think you'll see multiple independent presidential efforts. Well, interesting. Uh, let me just check to see if we have any other um, questions before I get to some of mine. Um, Andrew, what you got? What do I got? What do I got? Uh, I am interested in this. Uh, and I mean, we have a, a comment here from Seth Higgins, uh, also for Steve. What other issues are voters oh, yeah. in Wyoming talking about? Um, if yeah. any, yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> there are, there are a lot of land use issues that are always, uh, big mm. issues in, in Wyoming, um, there are water rights issues, oil and gas issues, inflation, certainly, um, you hear Kristen Solta Sanderson heard about that in some of her, uh, focus 
group uh, discussions. Um, so sort of the traditional issues that I think other people are, are talking about around the country are, are also at play here. It's just that the, the, the sort of huge Trump-Cheney fight. I mean, remember, Trump said this was the election he cared most about. This was the most important election. The, that fact, I think, sort of obscures so many other things. And it does, you know, I think she has, Cheney has talked about these other issues. She's been very critical of, of Biden on inflation. She's been critical of Biden on oil and gas stuff. Um, I don't think she does it as often as she talks about Trump. It's the main thing she cares about. It's the main thing she speaks about. And when she talks about Biden, there is a, you know, sort of a, a dog bites man quality. Exactly. Like she's expected to criticize Joe Biden. So it doesn't get the kind of press attention that her criticism of Trump and the Republican Party do. I'm curious how, you know, everyone keeps saying, oh, she's not going away after this loss. She's going to be part of that conversation, whether she runs for president within the Republican Party as an independent or just as a voice, you know, the, the conscience of conservatives or something. But there's a certain practical question, which is how if you don't have an office, what is she going to sit on MSNBC and say things? Okay, but that's not really the same thing as being in the conversation, if you know what I mean. So I'm curious how she thinks she's going to maintain visibility. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. I mean, certainly the the, the January 6th committee gives her a platform through the end of the end of this Congress, yeah. right? Through January. And then beyond that, I think a lot will depend on what she decides about a presidential bid. Um, certainly the media love to talk to her, right? I mean, this has been true forever. The media love a Republican who beats up on other Republicans. Yeah. Um, if she's no longer a Republican, they will love an independent conservative beating up on Republicans. The, me- that's Last the media Cheney. loves, loves yeah, that I mean- stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think she'll be able to get attention should be able to get attention that way. And I think if she were to, to run, you know, she, she doesn't at this point, I mean, she's, she's nowhere near a, a majority of the Republican party. Like she's got pretty strong support among independents and moderate Democrats, but you, I don't think you can write off who she does speak for in the Republican party. You know, if, if 9% of Republicans voted against Donald Trump in 2020, New York Times poll three weeks ago found that that's up to about 16% now. There's other polling that suggests it's as high as 20. You know, there's a, that's a constituency. It's not a constituency that gets her to the White House, but she'd be speaking for, for disaffected Republicans and homeless conservatives. Um, and, you know, that, again, that's not, that's not enough to make her president, but uh, at, least, at least in the short term, but that's, uh, but that's not nothing either. Can I ask something about, there's something about this phenomenon that, that is always interesting to me. I mean, it kind of gets at the question that, that, that Sarah asked earlier, where, where there is this perception that she, um, you know, she, pe- people accuse her of being myopic, that she's just focusing on the Trump thing. She won't beat up Biden, all these things. And, and there's a lot of like institutional reasons, not only why she does prioritize Trump, but also why people develop and maintain that perspective, right? I mean, it has to do with the fact that, um, I mean, the January 6th stuff is the only really significant, I mean, it, at the very least, it's the most significant thing she's doing in Congress now, um, after she was kicked out of leadership, where if she were still in leadership, one of her big responsibilities would be beating up on Joe Biden, things like that. Um, but but I guess I just wonder, like, when 
like you said, like media always love a Republican who will beat up on Republicans, but they also love to give a Republican who will beat up on other Republicans a platform just to beat up on other Republicans. So even if even if you'd argue that like a person like Liz Cheney is not a myopic voice now, um, once she loses kind of like her her independent perch, um, like being a very prominent member of Congress, how, how, how do you how do you fight the perception once you have to like rely on, say, the media more and more and more often who only want you on to beat up on other Republicans? How do you avoid falling farther and farther into that kind of caricature that, that people have of you? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And I'm certainly no political strategist and would never want to be. Um, but I would imagine, I mean, if, if I were, if I put on my political strategist hat, and I was thinking of ways to make a case. I, I, you know, my my case would be sort of a, a common sense, conservative. You know, I'm I'm speaking for people who are sick of, of both of these parties and the, the sort of disaster that we've seen or or struggles that we've seen from the Biden administration. Um, easier case to make two months ago than it is today, but I think I think he's been an ineffective president. I think it's pretty easy case to make that he's been an ineffective president. And then, you know, on the Republican side, you've got this. And, you know, this, this is sort of a theme that I, I'm stealing from David, who's, who's written this, like, can't we expect more? Like, is this the best that the United States has to offer, really? These, these two guys and these two parties? Um, I think if you could build a, a, a big argument about that, you'd be speaking to a lot of people who, even in this polarized climate, might ultimately, you know, go and pull the lever for one party or the other. There's a lot of people like that. I think there are a lot of people like that. The exhausted majority, call them whatever you want. Um, you know, I think there's an opportunity to speak to that group and say, hey, enough is enough on this stuff. All right, David, last bit to you, and then we'll let Steve go, you know, report. Uh, well, here's one option that has not been brought up. We've talked about the House, which is now going to be cut off because of the sore loser rules, and she missed her chance to run as an independent for the House. And we've talked about the presidency, but in 2024, there's going to be a Wyoming Senate election. Is this something where she could take on the incumbent senator as an independent? Is this something that would even be possible? Certainly not as high profile as a run for the presidency, which I don't think is as nuts as Sarah does, but certainly a long shot. But would a would a run for the Senate make more sense, an independent run for the Senate, um, especially if Trump is weak in 20 is a weak nominee in 2024? I mean, I would say no, just, the, you know, the, the 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 field here is so tilted in favor of not just Republicans, but Trumpy Republicans. He, there's there is this sort of widespread enthusiasm for, for the guy and for what he represents, this you know big middle finger to Washington, D.C. and to the establishment. It's a long history in Wyoming politics uh, of you know what we had regarded as a mostly libertarian streak. Let's just stay out of my way. And it turns out, I think it's, it's as much a, just an anti-establishment sort of you know, pox on everybody's houses. And that fits very well with the kind of case that Donald Trump has made uh, over the years. So I think she would have a really tough time, I think, as an now, Steve. senator. And she didn't like the Senate. She, didn't, she, she ran for the Senate in 2013, uh, ended her campaign early. I think she, I think she liked the House. She, her, yeah. her father 
always preferred the House and you know, would openly mock the Senate. And I think she shares his views of, of the Senate. A lot of talking, not a lot of action. Now, Steve, though, if to be fair, if she ran for Senate and every Democrat voted for her who voted for uh, Joe Biden, she'd be starting with a solid 27 <laughs> percent. I mean, there's a lot of additional votes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Steve, any parting? Uh, where are you going right now? Uh, I am going to uh, the Mead Ranch, which is where she is going to be speaking. Liz Cheney is going to be speaking um, polls close in a half hour, I would say probably an hour after the polls close. We'll depend. Uh, we'll see how, how uh, soon the race call is and what the results are. You think, I mean, I assume if this is really a 30 point race, they're going to be able to call that within five, 10 minutes. I would think there are reports that there's just been this massive, massive turnout today, um, in, in, um, Casper and Natrona County, um, in Cheyenne and elsewhere. I mean, you know, Wyoming, there aren't that many. I was going to say massive turnout in Wyoming. 195,000 voted for Trump in roughly in 2020 and 75,000 roughly voted for Biden. So you're not talking about a huge number of votes. You would think that, that they'd be able to count those pretty quickly. And there was a, there was a, a sizable percentage of people who voted early. So I wouldn't expect that this would go late if the polling, particularly if the polling that we've seen in the past several weeks is accurate that it's going to be just a, a you know a blowout. Then I would think they'd be able to call it pretty soon. But if you have people in line, um, yeah, you know the, the the race may be called. I I would guess she probably wouldn't speak until polls are really closed. People are done, but I don't know. All right. Well, uh, have a good time hopping on that horse and riding on over to <laughs> Thank the you. ranch with your we'll flat. Flannel. I would would love it so much if you actually had a horse. (laughs) I mean, my experiences with horses are uh, not great. (laughs) Uh, What shoes are you wearing, Steve? What's appropriate Wyoming shoe wear for a reporter? Uh, I have some blunt stone boots. Um, They're from Australia, but they're boots. They're not cowboy boots. They're boots. Australia is actually cousins with Texas, Colorado, Wyoming. I consider them. They're great. I love, I love the boots. I mean, they're really great. So. All right. And I've had them for Uh, like five years and they still, they still work. Enjoy. We'll look forward to the piece tomorrow. Um, Tomorrow or Thursday. Mm. (laughs) You said tomorrow. Mm. I I remember them saying tomorrow. All right, fine. Okay. I'll file something. (laughs) Bye. See y'all. Bye. All right. Let's shift a little bit and talk about Alaska because they are also voting tonight and two interesting races going on. But this is going to get kind of messy to explain. So you have the general election, which is a special election for the single congressional seat in Alaska. The primary was held a month, six weeks ago now. This is Sarah Palin and Nick Begich running now um, and two other people, not Santa Claus, uh, who will be running in this general election tonight. And remember, Alaska moved to this top four finishers in the primary and then instant runoff in the general election, uh, ranked choice voting. So we have that general election for the House seat to fill Don Young, who passed away in March. And then we have the primary for Lisa Murkowski's Senate seat. Lots of folks, of course, (laughs) keep trying to predict the demise of Lisa Murkowski. 
but nope. Remember in 2010, when they had the normal partisan primary, Lisa Murkowski was actually defeated by a Tea Party candidate and then went on to win as a write-in candidate. They had uh, amazing ads to teach people how to spell Murkowski. (laughs) Uh, And she won as a write-in. I think one of only two, Strom Thurmond, I think is the other senator to ever win as a write-in candidate. Um, This time around, because they changed the Alaska voting system, Lisa Murkowski, first of all, obviously is going to make the top four she uh, we presume that the Trump endorsed candidate will also make the top four. And then the general election will actually be almost more like a Republican primary because it'll mm-hmm. really come down to those two in this ranked choice voting. People presume then that Lisa Murkowski could will win because it'll be all the Democrats and independents in uh, Alaska voting in that general election in the fall. But it's a little like Wyoming. There aren't that many. So uh, I do think Lisa Murkowski certainly favored to win the general election in November, but tonight will be interesting to see what that margin for her is in the primary on that top four ballot. And of course, everyone waiting to see if Sarah Palin now becomes Congresswoman Sarah Palin from Alaska, or if Alaskans are like, eh, reality TV, not our thing. Uh, <laughs> Andrew, have you followed this either of these races very much? Honestly, not a lot. I mean, I think I think it's... I. I I have read, I mean, obviously, uh, 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 our, our very own Chris Steyerwald is a big proponent of, of some of this, this ranked choice stuff. You've written a lot about that. Um, I, I am interested to see how it goes down. I do think that the, the sort of complexity of the system, they might as well have designed it as like a, a middle finger to pundits who want to be able to like draw, <laughs> like, like read the tea leaves of how much Trump matters in Alaska um, tonight, because it will be a lot less, like you say, a lot less uh, clear um, um, than, than, than the Wyoming result. But I mean, I, Lisa Murkowski, Alaska institution, right? I mean, like it's, she, she, her, she and, and her family's influence long predates the whole Trump era. And so I think it's, it's sort of an interesting thing where we're like Cheney is, I mean, Liz, Liz Cheney only served in Congress for a few terms, um, and really kind of like came to prominence during uh, the Trump, obviously also a famous family, but like as far as she herself is concerned during the Trump era, which which contributed to, I think, some of the uh, made it easier for her to be pigeonholed in this way, which I mean, Lisa Murkowski has take, t- took a lot of votes against Trump, but also has the weird baked in. Um, it's almost like the fact that Liz Cheney voted with Trump, like what, 92 percent of the time, but against him on like the really important <laughs> loyalty votes hurts her more than, oh, it's Lisa Murkowski. She votes against mm-hmm. the Republicans like all the time. You know, that's just what yeah. she does. It's her whole thing. You can't you can't make that like a personal Trump animosity thing. So I, I, I feel like it's harder to make it stick to her for a lot of different reasons. You know what, Sarah? David, one of the weirdo things that like, so obviously I am for ranked choice voting, but there's this one problem with ranked choice voting. You have to have really, really, um, you have to have competent election officials, cough, cough, New York City, but also you have to invest a lot. Uh, so even if you have competent election officials, they're not given the resources to do ranked choice voting. Well, what you end up with is what's going to happen in Alaska tonight, where you will get for that Sarah Palin race. We're going to get the first round votes of how everyone voted. Um, but for the rank choice to actually figure out who gets above 50 percent, 15 days, David. <laughs> and I just think at this point, we should as a country be prioritizing. So you and I. Yeah. Uh Oh, David's glitching. I was going to say you and I are on the advisory opinions 
Oh, am I glitchy? Okay. A little. That's uh, all right. Can, you and I are on the, uh, you and I are on the advisory opinions mind melt because I was just <laughs> about to say, are you, I'm for right ranked choice voting, but can we try it in a place that is either not quirky yes. where they're bringing in <laughs> ballots from dog sled at north of the Arctic circle, or, you know, Maine is a very quirky political state or blatantly incompetent like New York city voting. You want to see it in a place that knows how to run elections and is, runs them efficiently and runs them well. You know, Florida, after all of its messes, has become the SEAL Team 6 of elections. You would like to see ranked choice voting tried somewhere that really knows what it's doing. But we, we're not going to know anything for a while on Alaska. And, and it's going to be kind of a mess. And there's just sort of no way around that. And it creates this sense that the person who is leading tonight, based on those first round votes, that it will be taken away from them in the ranked choice system, which I hate. This just isn't that hard. We have computers. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think you could even do it by hand. There's not that many votes. I don't understand why it's going to take this long. And I think it does undermine trust in elections, because why should someone have to invest this much time to understanding their voting system and why it's taking 15 days if it just feels weird. We should, by and large, have results of our elections. Um, you know, I'm not saying within 30 minutes of polls closing, but within six hours of polls closing, we should have election results, barring just, uh, extraordinary circumstances. Jessica Houston over at, at VoteBeat had a good piece, I thought, the other day where, where the, the basic point of the thing was, uh, and I, she didn't come up with this, but the, 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 the centerpiece of the, of the piece was you can have cheap elections, fast elections, accurate elections, and you can pick two of those, you know, like if you, <laughs> if you, if you want them to, yes. if, if, if the, the reality of the situation is like we, and, and she basically argues we kind of got accustomed to really fast election results because of the widespread use of like a particular kind of machine for like 50 years in there, um, kind of pre-internet, pre- the, b- b- before the things went electronic. Um, I thought there were a lot of actual kind of behind the scenes, there was some sticky issues with, with that, the re- reasons why we've moved on from that. And now you kind of run into a thing where where if you were going to have like like quick and accurate uh, and kind of unimpeachable results, you really need to actually like throw quite a bit of money into the election administration problem. And I, and I think that's kind of a, a component that's been missing, especially, I mean, you hear a lot of rabble rousing um, among Rep- basically all Republicans about election integrity these days. Um, but but it's all like this this weird ethical thing. It's 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 all about like making sure that the correct people are like running for the correct offices so that there won't be as much cheating is the thought. Um, but really, I mean, it's it, it, if, if you want the count to be faster and we all should, a, a lot of money, it is, spend it's money. Pure, yeah, it's pure dollars and cents. It's you need to have enough people on staff to actually like process all of the ballots in a in a timely fashion, particularly uh, if we're do, if we're going to continue with this, like a bunch of mail in and a bunch of in person and the, the weird logistical uh, hang ups that that creates. I waited. This in is line. a great thing for the government to spend money on. Like it is maybe the best thing for the government to spend money on. And it's it's a rounding error to a rounding error to a rounding error of the defense budget, for example, that we're not talking about a crippling amount of money in the scheme of things, but we are talking about something that's so important that it could cripple the United States of America if people don't have confidence in it. And, you know, look, I just voted in a primary election here in Williamson County, Tennessee, and I waited in line two and a half hours to cast a vote for school board and state Senate primaries. Like that, that was ridiculous. That was my way. That was absurd. Just utterly absurd. All right. Let's go to some questions. First, uh, Peter 
you said, can we please, please, please stop conflating ranked choice voting with instant runoff voting? So instant runoff voting is actually a type of ranked choice voting. Ranked choice is the uh, rectangle to instant runoffs square. There are different types of ranked choice voting, but instant runoff is the most common type, which is why we kind of do use them interchangeably like rectangle and square. Um, uh, oh, <laughs> Heather would like to talk about Dr. Oz. <laughs> and I don't know about you guys, but my asparagus and tequila crudite tonight was really on point. Uh, Andrew has been following this Dr. Oz saga more than most, I will tell you. <laughs> I mean, it's not uh, a lot explain, of times. Well, okay, so, so a lot of times when when you know, you're a reporter, you're like, yeah, I've been following this story. You've been like making calls and like talking to people. <laughs> this is so this. I don't know how many of you out there in TV land have seen this little, it's just a little piece of campaign content that Dr. Oz actually put out months ago, but just got like rediscovered basically by his opponent in Pennsylvania, John Fetterman, uh, and the sort of uh, democratic content machine yesterday. Um, and it's, it's this bizarre video. He's, he's just walking around, uh, I guess I guess it's a regional grocery store, Redner's, um, and he's he's trying to make a point about how expensive groceries have gotten with inflation, but but really he's just like, repeatedly like 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 the, at six or seven different points in this like 40 second clip he just makes it very clear he doesn't spend any time in grocery stores <laughs> and the whole concept is extremely foreign to him um and and so it, it it actually kind of ends up just playing into into the the sort of fetterman angle which is that he's this out of touch elitist from out of state he mispronounces the name of the grocery store not mispronounces uh, he, yeah, he like he mixes portmanteaus. up portmanteaus yeah wegman yeah. or is it wegmans and, and radners wagmans and radners and he calls it Wagner's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He picks up like one crown of broccoli. He's like, one broccoli, that's $2. <laughs> you know? um, like, and, and no, he's not, we do broccoli he's not by grabbing, weight, y'all. He's not grabbing the produce bags. He's just got like an armful, <laughs> of, an armful of like asparagus. He keeps saying crudite. <laughs> so, so anyway, all that, when you say I've been following it, I really just, that, that I saw that video and it's just been playing on repeat. I mean, I, we, you and I talked about this a little bit yesterday. We did, it's just yes. it's inexplicable. It, 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 it's completely counterproductive. It's not like a hot mic moment. His campaign exactly. filmed it. They put it out. Yes. Uh, it was, they thought this was deliberate. good. They clearly took multiple takes. So did you guys, when you watched The Office, could you did you sometimes have to turn away because you were embarrassed for Michael Scott? Yeah, especially, oh, the first season's really bad about that, actually. I was glad they kind of changed the character for the for the next seasons because the first season you're like oh i can't even watch like well the ultimate is scott's tots episode i don't know if you remember this one <laughs> right. where he promised oh. to pay for college now education yeah <laughs> so i i don't think i've ever actually gotten through scott's tots even though it's total fiction because it's so painful i yeah. felt like that watching dr odds i literally haven't gotten through that little ad that he did because it was it was so awkward and painful i just Something in me, I had compassion for the man. It was so embarrassing. Well, he's a TV personality. Oh. Like, how is this not I know the skill set for him? Like, like a lot of impromptu live TV for years and years out going out to millions of people. And I just, it's just, I mean, I I I I can't I can't begin to wrap my mind around it. He's polling very much below John Fetterman in, in what should be a close race. And actually, we're, I mean, we I guess you, you talked about this a little bit in the sweep today, Sarah this is becoming a bit of a theme in what was supposed to be kind of a wave election year for Republicans. 
in in race after race after race, particularly in the Senate, you're getting these weird idiosyncratic reasons why the Republican candidate is just not strong in these in what in what are ostensibly the 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 tightest toss up states like Ohio and Pennsylvania and Georgia um, and Arizona are kind of the big four where they're all polling. I mean, I I can't remember if all four of them are like ten points down. Not in Georgia right now, I don't think. But but but. Uh, Oz in, in Pennsylvania and J.D. Vance in Ohio and Blake Masters in Arizona all kind of like are averaging like 10-ish points behind their competitor, which is, I mean, those states were close in, mm-hmm. in 2020. And and now it's like, I mean, they're... I mean, they weren't close. Republicans did... <laughs> Republicans are expected to perform about 10 points higher in Ohio. And I've been saying that, well, that's because the Sorry, Democrats... Yes. not Ohio, The Democrats right. are on air in Ohio, whereas the Republicans clearly... You know, we could talk about points, but instead of having one ad per half hour, like the Democrats may have one ad per hour, uh, but all through the summer and fall, whereas Republicans are going to save up their money and have three ads per half hour starting in September and like really concentrate their ad buy, which is what happens a lot of the time. There's asymmetrical ad buys over the summer, but those polls tighten once the symmetry flips, except that what you sent me last night, Andrew that the uh, National Republican Senatorial Committee just cut $13.5 million from their ad budget. Amazing. Whoa, they're out of money, which means it's not going to be that concentration asymmetry. It might just be an asymmetry where Democrats have ads uh, through the summer and then Republicans just go back on air, which will help a little, but it won't do the same thing as my comparison of like one ad per hour for Democrats for six months versus three ads every half hour for two months. So Sarah, I got a question for you. Put on your small dollar donor expertise hat. Are the Republicans killing the goose that's been laying the golden egg and then backing over it with like a a bulldozer because they're they're spamming their donors at an unbelievable rate. Um, There's there's list fatigue. There yes. is the 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 donor list. The emails are being sent into the spam folders. What's going on here? Have they are are they destroying their own donor base in the sense of of just simply wearing it out? You're using the present tense, but you should be using the past tense. Mm. So basically, when Donald Trump became the nominee in 2016. He takes all of the major Republican donor lists from the RNC and everything else, and uh, his team decides to make the short-term play and just squeeze all of the juice out of those lists, sending up to 18 emails a day per email address. If you're doing that, that email address will unsubscribe, go away, report as spam. I mean, that is spam, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you will not be able to go back to that donor and get another $5, $10 down the road. Uh, The Democrats, on the other hand, have just had a lot more discipline on their side. And it means that in, you know, 2016, I would have to go back and look at the numbers, uh, 2018. I'll bet that their small dollar draw actually was uh, not as high as it could have been. We'll put it that way. And um, but they were hitting their lists for the long term. They were trying to maintain them, be responsible with them. Think of it like any natural resource (laughs) you can um Lorax and cut down all the trees for your what were the little hats called in the Lorax? The Sneeds. Oh my and god. And they weren't just sure? hats, Sarah. You could use them for all sorts of sweaters. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
huge asymmetry, which is fascinating. And the reason for that is because there isn't a Donald Trump on the left. Uh, and so you still have the Democratic National Committee largely being in charge over all of how those lists work. And I don't want to spend the time necessarily to bore everyone with rental agreements with these mm -hmm. lists. But on the left, it appears that their rental agreements, again, are very strictly controlled. And on the right, it's a total free for all. So if anyone's ever noticed, if any one person gets your email on the right, you are getting emails from everyone yeah. and you're getting 27 a day because if if they all know that the Trump team is going to hit that email 18 times a day, their incentive is to hit it hard and quick because they know that email address will be useless in just a couple months. And so it's just this perpetual downward spiral. The result of which, why David asked the question, is that all of a sudden Republicans do not have a small do dollar donor base program anymore because all of those email addresses are useless. And so the NRSC clearly has been drying up and the messages aren't working when you have to ratchet it up of like everything's more mm -hmm. and more extreme. At some point, they've run out of extreme messages to grab the attention of those remaining people who actually don't mind getting 18 emails a day from Donald Trump and text messages and another 27 from the other Republicans. So huge problem and not a short term fix, David. You would need to really start yeah. from scratch and build up a new uh, email list system. Well, and one of the one of the interesting things, or this is one of the reasons why it is particularly interesting that in two of those states that I that I mentioned before, not not Pennsylvania, but in Ohio and Arizona, the Republican nominees are basically running on a strategy of not really worrying about small dollar donations and instead are just being bankrolled by. Republican billionaire Peter Thiel. They're both very, very right. kind of close to him uh, personally. And he's just pouring like tens of millions of dollars into the super PACs uh, that that are uh, close to those campaigns. And that is that has basically become the campaign strategy just to kind of let those super PACs be the advertising in those races. It doesn't seem to be going extraordinarily well, but um, but I I was actually not I, I had not given any thought to the re to, to, to the 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 fact that it is possible that is one reason why candidates like that maybe get are getting a little more traction these days than they otherwise would be. Uh, David, I am. <laughs> no, actually, I'm sorry, but I, I will just read you the question, but we're not going to we can't dive into it here. We're going to have to save it for advisory opinions. But it says the comment section for David's article on Trump and the Hillary standard has been unhinged. Does David want to advise and extend his initial remarks? We simply cannot do that in the time remaining. Um, also, <laughs> Matthew Mon, I apologize if that's not how you pronounce your last name. Where is Jonah? Wrong answers only. <laughs> Obviously mauled by the dogs. He's been no. poached. He's been poached. He's uh, <laughs> he's going into professional dog sledding. <laughs> going, going through boxes at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and the answer to the comment section question is no, I do not wish to revise. Oh, really? and yes, <laughs> I do not. I do not. So on Tuesdays, David, I do two hours of uh, local radio shows across the country for mm -hmm. ABC news. So I just call into, you know, your, uh, I do Yakima, Washington, for instance. Um, mm -hmm. And all of them were about your piece in the Clinton standard. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh my goodness. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, well, you know, one of the comments was that got a ton of likes was 
sort of along the lines of how dare you, sir? Don't you know that Donald Trump signed a law that extend that? How dare you? Donald Trump signed a law that that made holding on mishandling classified information a felony five year prison term. Yes, he did. That was not one of the statutes on the warrant. I was. And you know why? Because it says an officer of the United States, which does not apply to the president of the United States. So I was analyzing the statutes that were on the warrant, which was the exact, the main statute, 17793, was the exact statute, the exact statute that applied to Hillary Clinton. Exactly. So, so the short answer is no, I do not wish to revise and extend. Except for the advising and extending that we just did. Other than um, that, that, but which is already in the comment section. So uh, fair. Mm. A question to all of us. If you were called to run for office right now, what would you need to have in hand to say yes? David, I'm so curious what your answer to this would be. What would I need to have in hand to say yes? Yes. Huh. And I, I presume that's not money. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it is money. I mean, like, only, is it not a donor only money. calling you and saying, I've got $10 million. It's yours in a super PAC. Would that be enough? Dwayne The Rock Johnson's endorsement. And then That's I shall get you to do it. <laughs> it's exactly. Absolutely. Wow. With that, that kind of wind at my back, Sarah, who's beating me? Who's beating me? Andrew? I, you could not. I would not. I would not be an asset to my country. <laughs> in office. I don't think I think I, I think I would need to be convinced of that. First of all, I, uh, I, I I actually kind of rue that I have never even worked on a political campaign. I mean, I've covered many. At and this you point use in time. terms like rue, which might be a bit of a deal breaker. <laughs> really? Is that, see, see I don't know these rules. See, I don't know there are words you're not yeah. allowed to say. Like crudite. Uh, yeah, well, that's one. Yeah. See how much more populist I am than Andrew? You've never said rue in your life? Come on. In a serious yeah. context? Like you'll rue the day. <laughs> yeah. That's an English I mean, I, I just want the greatest living American celebrity other than maybe Dolly Parton on behind me and he's throwing out $19 mm. words. See, I've already just been killed on this on this tiny debate stage by by yeah. Sarah and David. Like, I I I know my I know myself, and I don't think you want me. I think you, don't you want me here? Come on, I I'd like to be. I'd like to stay here. Is that possible? So my what, answer to that question you, is you so answer, easy. Yes. Yeah, um, I need to be told that I don't need to talk to any donors. That the money will simply be provided, and mm-hmm. two, that I can run a front porch campaign where I also um, don't really need to talk to voters. Like, it's not that I mind talking to voters, actually. I find people fascinating and interesting. And like, everyone has a story that, um, you know, I, I like asking questions of people, but I don't necessarily like large groups of people. I'm really a small group person. So like having five people at a time come to my house. Great. Uh, going to, you know, the Iowa State Fair and having to walk up to people and be like, hi, my name's Sarah and I'm running for whatever. Like, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> so I need an introverts campaign, basically. See, so that was spoken like a person who, which you are, who has an actual lot of experience with like the various <laughs> kinds of campaigns that can be run. So that was, that was informative. I do think the one thing uh, that I did not necessarily get about campaigning before I covered them is just how like crushingly repetitive that work is. Um, I mean, it's just like it is mm-hmm. not high intellectual work. It's just the same. And I mean, well, I mean, I, I think it, it requires like a, per, a particular set of intellectual virtues just to be able to hack it. I mean, like, <laughs> like, like it's it's really I mean, you'd go 
just day after day after day after day after day, you're meeting with different groups of people and saying the same thing. And ideally you never deviate from like the six things. It's actually a virtue. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, it's really, I could 1000 times a day say I'm David French. I'm Dwayne the rock Johnson's choice to deliver the people's (laughs) elbow to Congress. Like that, I could say that a hundred thousand times in a day. I would never, never get tired get, of it. Yeah, nope. fair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Thank you to the comment section for not making fun of like this basically fascinator that I have over my head because I had to move my chair at the last minute. So there's a, you know, sticks growing out of the top of my head. Um, and thank you to Steve, who is now presumably at Cheney campaign headquarters in Jackson, Wyoming. Andrew, who I assume is just going to get super drunk now with the uh, bitters. I mean, there's that's that's an interesting cart. I see cherries, bitters, lot lot back there. That's a little niche. This room is not super accessible to my baby, and the, the cart mm-hmm. is unbaby proofable, which is why it's here in the shot. So, True. Uh, and David, I'm sad we didn't things. see more of the dogs. Yeah, that's unfortunate. They really are the best Frenches. Other than yeah. Lila, who's not, she's a Delosier, but yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> French by ethnicity. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. All right. Thank you all so much for joining us and we'll see you again next week.